For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already vanished, and they will never again have a share in all that is done under the sun. That's a quote taken from a biblical passage. It's the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, from verse 5 to 6. I think that scriptural passage on this estimates the capacity of those on the other side to express emotion, to feel, to at least attempt to latch on to memories and reminders of the parts they once trod. Who's to say that in those final moments, as they succumb to the pull of the water, or as the lead from the bullets successfully stopped all heart functions, that they didn't spare thoughts of unfulfilled dreams, or promises that could no longer be met, of the loved ones left behind. Who's to say that they did not express worry from Shell about the way they left things here? What makes you so sure you don't yearn to speak to someone, to send a message, to reach out? Have you ever seen the desperation in the eyes of a departed loved one when they show up in a 12.51 a.m. dream, struggling with words, knowing that there's a chance you'll remember little or nothing by morning? Why do you think mediums feel so much exhaustion when they attempt to bridge the gap between the living and the deceased? One moment you're being traffic-driven to an airport enjoying the perks of being a senior financial officer in the federal establishment. And the next minute, your car is submerged in a huge flood. You and your driver in it, with the huge probability that your body may never be seen again. Worse than the news of death, is being robbed of the chance to pay befitting respects. Being unable to stare at that shell that once bore life one last time, and being deprived of a shot at closure. Uncle Luke grew up with my father, but it was in 2005 that I interacted with him for the first time, at least within a full sense of reasoning. I was 14 at the time, which was nearly five years after my mother's demise. My father was alone most of the time. So during one of my midterm breaks, I was in high school at the time, I accompanied him on a business trip to Abuja. Uncle Luke housed us for five days, provided us with all he needed and relieved my father of what would have been heavy hotel expenses in one of the country's most expensive cities. A stout, light-complexioned man, Uncle Luke exhibited so much focus in his career, rising up the ranks as an accountant in the Abuja Federal High Court. He had, however, been lucky in love, having witnessed the breaking up of two engagements. On one occasion, his lover made away with his property while he was on a trip abroad. So he ended up marrying fairly late, at least according to Nigerian societal standards. In 2013, I was a 22-year-old who had just aced his law school examinations and needed a place to stay for a few weeks while awaiting my final screening on call to bar. Uncle Luke came to the rescue again. By then, he had married a business-savvy wife. His only son was five years old, and he had cheated dead once. There were people who looked around, some relatives and other strangers, but I noticed that he helped them all, 
house them to the best of his ability, practically cushioned the Abuja hustle. He was the kind of man who built houses for indigent people back in our hometown, and he sponsored the education of many youths without batting an eyelid. And he just knew how to set people on a path to better living. Then, Oshun, the river Arisha, visited the city that hardly floods with water, and she chose to go for him. Well played, local. Well played. Son, I've got bad news. I hope you're in a quiet place, preferably your apartment. My father sounded hurt when he broke the news to me that Friday evening. I wonder how the dead man's wife, his son, and his other dependents will process this. There were many ambitions riding on that man's back. Heaven knows what is going to become of those ambitions now. Take heart. I'm really sorry about how you feel. May his soul rest in peace. Platitudes in the lines of there's a reason for everything and God knows best are lost on me at the moment and I could really do without those or the condolence messages pouring. Man makes sacrifices all his life, finally gets into some rhythm and then is cut off. God, explain this to me. Illustrate this in a way that makes sense. Ultimately, Loss is heavier than what we make it out to be. It's difficult to define, no matter how much you intellectualize or romanticize its very essence. It's palpable but tricky when it comes to figuring its dimensions. And more painfully, there is no foolproof way to process it. Like a niggly pain in your knees, it comes and goes and comes again. There's no drowning it in glasses of vodka or blurring it with a laptop screen burying it between a woman's thighs. Life has a way of playing out like a game of cards. When you think you've figured things out and scream, last card, it has a way of retorting with pick two, nippling your plans in the bud. I joked about staying with him for a while if I ever moved to Abuja. I dream of ways to understand what the point is in being born and existing sometimes. In a way, I'm somewhat relieved that I've still got tears left to cry and that my lacrimal gland still functions. Some joke that we're only entitled to a given volume of liters in terms of teardrops. I felt that volume shrink by one third when Blessed died from kidney failure in 2010 at the age of 19. I felt the showers in my eyes dry even further when Charlie died from stomach cancer later that year before her 20th birthday. And when Caesar passed on from cerebral abscess in 2014, 13 weeks, 13 weeks to his 20th birthday, I thought that I had exhausted my life's allotment of tears. Until I got the phone call that greeted my ears with news of Uncle demise. I'm not sure how I will live with this, but maybe I should hold on to the fact that I can still feel, at least, maybe numbness is a far worse state than death. Maybe having a car involuntarily turn into an improvised submarine is a fairly good way to journey to heaven. And I just think of these lines in 42, a track by Coldplay from the album Viva La Vida, which reads along the lines of 
those who are dead are not dead. They're just living in my head. And since I fell for that spell, I'm living there as well. Time is so short and I am sure there must be something more.